Uh, welcome. Good morning. My name is Matt, and i um, excited about this morning. Uh, we, we're we going to go through a portion of Scripture that is possibly one of the harshest portions of Scripture um, in the whole Bible. Uh, Jesus kind of goes to town um, on the Pharisees, and that's a good thing, and uh, we're going to see that. Uh, but this morning, as we um, just kind of review and, and look back a little bit, let's go ahead and uh, what we'll do is we'll pray, and then uh, we'll get into uh, the message this morning. Father, we, uh, we want you to speak to us, God. We, we don't want to be religious hypocrites. And God, that's what we see with um, some of the religious zealots in the time of Christ. So, so God, we look to them in Scripture, and sometimes we could easily see that. Uh, we could see how they were religious without uh, a true relationship. We could see how they, they made the outside look good, but inside there was still uh, just a bunch of garbage. And, and Lord, it's easy for us to judge them and become self-righteous, but God, we ask that you would search us. Because Lord, there are times that, um, Father, we, we could do the same things. So we pray that you would clean us from the inside out. We pray that our outward actions would, would be a result of the inward change and the relationship that we have with you. So we thank you, God. We pray that you would meet with us here and uh, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Last week in Matthew chapter 22, um, what we saw is the king was questioned. Can you imagine questioning a king? Like you, you sequester him, you put him in a room, and you start questioning a king. Jesus is the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and yet we, we find out that he was questioned. We know that this is the last week of Jesus' life on earth, so in this last week, it is Passover week. The Passover lamb was to be examined. Jesus became our Passover lamb. He was examined. They, they asked him questions, political questions, religious questions, moral questions. They tried to trip him up. And at the end of that, Jesus ended with a, really a question to them. It was a personal question. And his question was uh, really about who is the Christ? And so that personal question for you this morning, I really pray and I hope that most of us have answered that question, who is Jesus? Who is the Christ? Because he's more than just a religious man. He's more than just a prophet. And, and in chapter 23, when we go through this, maybe, maybe on the outside looking in, um, if you're visiting, maybe you're, you're seeking, you're not sure, or, or you don't have really a background uh, of Christianity and you're kind of wondering what this is all about, that personal question is the most important question in the world. In fact, I remember when I was, um, I was really praying about asking Deanna to marry me, and that was a really scary uh, concept of realizing this is a forever thing, and realizing that's the second biggest decision I will ever make. The second biggest decision. That's a huge decision. The biggest decision is what do I do with Christ? Who is Christ? And so I really pray that you, you know Christ. And so this morning... The title of the message is The King's Dispute with Hypocrites. Jesus had a dispute with them. And I want you to leave your hand in Matthew chapter 23. But I want to read from Matthew chapter 5 first. Because I really think that um, as we look at Matthew 23, this is Jesus' last sermon. Matthew chapter 5 is one of Jesus' first sermon sermons and the most famous sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. And in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus gets really internal. He gets into a person's heart because he doesn't want just external obedience. He wants internal change. And in Matthew chapter 5, this must have just blown their minds. 
uh, the multitudes are sitting there. And when we went to Israel, uh, we sat in this place. And I could just imagine Jesus opening his mouth, it says in Matthew 5, verse 2. And he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. And blessed are the persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. See, in the Sermon on the Mount, um, this is the heart of Jesus. This is the heart of our Lord. If you don't know who Jesus is, read Matthew chapter 5. And when you begin to read it, read chapter 6, chapter 7. The Sermon on the Mount is really Jesus' heart. And it's the heart that he wants us to reflect as well. It's in stark contrast to those that are filled with pride and those that are thirsty for power. Now, that's the backdrop because I want you to turn with me now to Matthew chapter 23. In Matthew chapter 23, this is where Jesus addresses uh, the Pharisees. And and I I think when I look at Jesus' last sermon, there are times that I would think that his last sermon would be really filled with love and grace and mercy. And what I find is that Jesus' last sermon, his last public sermon is really filled with more justice and integrity and it's rebuke. And I think one of the reasons is because Um, In Romans, it says, you know, Paul wrote that it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance, right? It's God's goodness. But if someone continues to reject that goodness, if someone continues to reject the offering, at some point in time, Jesus says there is going to be judgment also. I just think about um, with raising kids or being a coach or being a teacher, there's a, a certain point in time where you're nice, but then there's someone that is breaking the rules and they're not listening and they're disobedient. And, and at some point in time, if you don't confront that, then you're doing them a disservice. If Jesus doesn't confront hypocrisy within us, within the Pharisees, he does us a disservice because he wants us to change. And if we're not willing to listen to that goodness and that mercy, he also shows us that, yes, there are going to be consequences as well. So the first thing that Jesus does is he warns the people of the hypocritical leadership. Um, Chuck Swindoll said this, Few things are more infectious than a godly lifestyle. The people you rub shoulders with every day need that kind of challenge. Not prudish, not preachy, not self-righteous, just honest to goodness, deep, non-hypocritical integrity. See, if people see that within us, then they want to know more about our God. But if they see hypocrisy and they see self-righteousness and they see pride, they think, well, what do I have to do with your God? I don't want anything to do with your God. There's really, um, as Dale Goddard, um, Rawls' assistant pastor, used to tell me that there's three of you. There's really three of you. There's the person that other people think that you are. That's your reputation, the way that other people think of you. And then there's the you that you think you are. 
Because you think, oh, they don't know me. They don't really know me. But then there's the you that God really knows. Because sometimes we could even be self-deceived. And in this, in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus begins, it says here, by speaking to the multitudes and to his disciples. Notice in verse 2, he said to them, the scribes and the Pharisees, they sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do. But do not do according to their works, for they say and do not do. The first thing that I see about this, um, this warning, he tells us that some of these religious leaders, they say one thing and they do something else. Now, all of us are susceptible to that, right? If you are a parent, um, God has a great way of using parenting to speak to me. Because everything that I say to my kids, I start to think about it and I get really convicted by it. Because then I hear myself, first I'm, I'm mad that they didn't listen or that they didn't obey or, or pick something up or do something. And I'll say things like this. I'll say, hey, when I ask you to do something, I expect you to do it the first time. And so I say that and the Holy Spirit is saying to me, Matt, when I tell you to do something, I expect you to do it the first time. Um, it, it's... It's the way that sometimes, and we don't mean to do it. And here's the difference between the Pharisees and religious hypocrites. See, sometimes we could say one thing and do another thing subconsciously, unintentionally, because we fall short. They knew what they were doing. They knew that they were telling the people to do what the law of Moses said. And so Jesus said, yes, when they sit in that seat of the law, expounding the law and explaining to them the way of God, Go ahead and do what they tell you to do, but just don't follow their actions. So the words that they were saying were correct. And sometimes it's important to realize that even, even a, a bad hypocritical person can be speaking truth. And so Jesus says, hey, what they say is right. And we have to be careful of that because sometimes we want to throw the whole message out, right? Um, it, it's one of the most tragic things when you... You see a leader um, really get exposed. Something happens and all of a sudden it's in the news. And whether it's a political leader or a religious leader. And then sometimes people make the mistake of saying nothing that they said was true. Because look at their lives. And what Jesus is saying is, no, there are some hypocrites that sometimes the things that they say are true, but just don't follow their lives. But I'll tell you that the greatest witness, the greatest example, as we all know, is someone whose life speaks so loudly that you listen to their words. It goes on to say in, in uh, verse 4, the next thing about this warning is that they, they gave burdens to people. Read with me in verse 4. It says, For they bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. I, I want you to know that Sometimes a religious leader can get so heavy. Um, you know, there are some people that have one note, and that note is heaviness. And it, it, it's good at times, right? We need to be serious about our walk with God. But I, I really believe that Jesus was joyful. Absolutely. I believe that, yes, he was heavy at times, and there were things that, that really convicted us. But I believe with all of my heart that Jesus was joyful. I, I imagine what the campfires were like. I think that there were times of laughing. I think in some of the, the words that Jesus is going to use to kind of 
kind of rebuke the Pharisees, it, it makes me laugh at least. So I think that there's some humor that's going on as well. But sometimes people can be very burdensome. And this morning, are you burdened? Because I, I pray that if you came in burdened, that you leave light. And I'm not saying that we should be just frivolous about our walk with God. There are some heavy things that we need to take into consideration. But Jesus said, come all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. See, he wants us to take his yoke upon us. He said, for my yoke is easy and my burden is what? It's light. See, false religion just wants people to be under their thumb, wants people to always feel heavy and, and depressed and like they have to come back. And, and it feeds towards a person. Think about the cults that are out there. There are heavy burdens on people. And the allegiance is not to God. The allegiance is to the cult leader. And the cult leader will put heavy burdens upon them because they feel like I have to, I have to measure up. And notice the next thing about these uh, religious leaders in verse 5. They were really feeding their pride. It says, but all their works they do to be seen by men. My brother, who uh, used to lead the men's ministry at Calvary Chapel Golden Springs, had a motto for the men's ministry, and it was this. Be last, be least, be invisible. I, I love it. Be last, be least, be invisible. And what he meant by that is that you put other people before yourselves. Um, you don't see yourself as better than other people. And, and it, you just serve in the shade. You, you serve in a way that God sees what you do. And now it's not wrong if someone notices. It, you don't lose your reward because someone saw you do something good, right? Jesus said, let your works, you know, do your good works before men. Let them shine before men that they may see the works that you do and give glory to God. So we're to let our light shine but we're not to do it to be seen. If they see it, then hopefully they give glory to God. But they were feeding their pride. They wanted to be seen by men. And you know what? Sometimes we go through head trips like that. If you're really trying to serve the Lord, sometimes you go through these head trips. At least, at least I do. Um, when I was working at Calvary Chapel San Jose, I, I just came on staff there. And I was uh, doing janitorial work and I was doing maintenance there at the church. And uh, so my job was uh, Lauren Johnson, who is my supervisor, said, Matt, um, when people come in to worship on Sundays, your message that you're preaching, because you're not teaching you know, publicly, your message is the facility. So when they come in, whatever the facility is like, if they're just able to come in and enjoy and feel like, you know what, the temp I was responsible for the temperature, for the lighting, for the, the leaves, blowing the leaves out outside, the litter... And one day I just, I just had it perfect. I just felt like one day, this is it. You know, people aren't here yet. And it was pristine. It was just like great. Except there was one piece of trash right there in the foyer that I noticed. Just as people were coming in, the worship music had just started. And so Don McClure was walking by and he was the senior pastor and Lauren Johnson was with him. And I saw they were walking through the foyer and there was that piece of trash that I missed. I had just vacuumed the floor and so I wanted it to look great. And so the piece of trash is there and here's my head trip. I'm thinking... They're going to see the piece of trash and they're going to think you didn't do your job. I better go get that piece of trash. But then I started thinking, but then they're going to see me get that piece of trash just as they're walking out and thinking, oh, Matt's just trying to butter us up by picking up that piece of trash in front of us so that we'll say, oh, what a great job that he's doing. So I'm not going to do it. And isn't that dumb? I mean, that, that's dumb. And I'm going through this head trip in my mind. Should I pick up this trash or not pick up that trash? And, and, and the, the reason why I was head tripping is because I was worried about what people were thinking. 
rather than what God, if, if I was just thinking about what God was thinking, I would go pick it up, right? And, and it doesn't matter what someone else is thinking. See, the Pharisees, religious leaders, they wanted people to really see them in a certain way. It said they make their phylacteries broad and they enlarge the borders of their garments. The borders of their garments were uh, blue in order to remind them of God's faithfulness, in order to remind them to pray. But they started enlarging enlarging the, um, the borders of their garments and the phylacteries. God told them to bind his law upon the frontlets of their head. And so if you go, you see headbands with a box. And that that puts God's word in the box, right? It, it's like right here on top of their head. And now, now we don't gain God's word through osmosis, okay? I can't, when I go to sleep, you know, sleep on my Bible and like somehow or another it's transferring in, into my head as I'm asleep. What it means is that sh- should be in the forefront of my mind. But they actually had phylacteries, these headbands on their head, and some of them were looking like rhinos, like, I, I have to make sure I have all of God's word. I mean, just can you, can you imagine one guy like this, like walking around with a Bible on his head? And, and they were doing this, some of them, to make it larger, to say, I'm a little bit more spiritual. Now, before we throw judgment, I'll tell you that we could do stuff like that, right? We, we could be the same way. We could say, hey, you know, I have a bigger Bible, or, or have you seen all of my bumper stickers, you know, or have you, have you read all of my Christian t-shirts lately? You know, they're all about Jesus. And, and I'm not saying if you do that, don't, don't head trip on it. But I'm just saying that sometimes we could, we could look at the outward appearance. And if someone conforms to an outward religion rather than an inward change of the heart. In verse 6, they love the best places at the feast and the best seats in the synagogue. They wanted to be in front of other people all the time. In verse 7, it says that they, they love the greetings in the marketplaces and to be called by men, Rabbi, Rabbi. But you do not be called Rabbi, for one is your teacher, the Christ, and you are all brothers. Now, this is a great reminder that we have different roles in God's kingdom, but we have the same value to God. So I have a different role than you, and you have a different role than the people around you, and yet we are of the same value to God. We're all brothers and sisters in Christ, none of us better than anyone else. Um, It goes on to say in verse 9, do not call anyone uh, um, on earth your father, for one is your father who is in heaven. Now again, this isn't about your dad, but see, some, some of these religious leaders wanted to be the rabbi, not just rabbi, but the rabbi. They wanted to be father. In in other words, uh, when you think of what a father is, a father produces progeny, produces children, right, is a part of that. Now, the Bible says that we, you know, we plant seeds, right? Some of us plant seeds, other people water, but it's God that brings the growth, right? So it's God, if someone comes to Christ and they are born again, that person is a child of God. God produced that person, not the person that was the witness or that shared with them. It goes on to say, and do not be called teachers, for one is your teacher, the Christ. But he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. Now, the problem here is not with function, but the problem here is with title. They wanted titles. And titles really... They, they really became a, a, a problem. The title of rabbi, father, teacher, in other words, master or you know, father, it's like you're our, my spiritual offspring or teacher, you are our spiritual guide. 
they, they wanted that title and they wore that title with a lot of pride. And so in verse 12, Jesus reminds us this, whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Now here's a warning and a blessing for all of us to heed. Sometimes I hear people pray, God, please humble me. I just want you to know I don't pray that. I, I don't. Because the Bible says, humble yourselves. Now, I, I do want God to humble me if I'm going to rebel. I'm, don't get me wrong. If I'm going to be rebelling against God and I have a blind spot, I do want God to humble me. But I would rather humble myself before God. Because I'll tell you that, that God gives us the opportunity to humble ourselves. So if I'm not willing to humble myself, then God will humble me. And it goes on from here. Jesus is, he is talking um, about the Pharisees and he is talking about these religious hypocrites right in front of them. So just imagine that the Pharisees are there, you know, arms crossed, you know, with kind of the scowl on their face. And he looks to the multitude. He looks over to his disciples and he says, watch out for these guys. Because this is what they're like. And he just starts to talk about them right in their presence. Now, maybe you've heard this saying before. If you're not willing to say something to someone's face, then don't say it at all. And Jesus does that. He, he says, okay. And now he looks right at them. And he says, I'm going to say it to your face. So rather than just talking about them, first he warns the people about them. But then he looks right at them. And, and his warning um, to them. Jesus' rebuke to them. I love this about Jesus because he, he doesn't have a fear of saying the right thing at the right time in the right way. Jesus is full of grace and truth, right? Jesus is full of grace and truth. It's one of the descriptions of Jesus in the book of John. He's not Jesus full of grace or truth. He's grace and truth. He's been gracious to the Pharisees and the scribes this whole time. And at this point in time, he just looks right at them and he sees through their mask. And in spite of the fear of all of the people, he just goes right to it. I love it. His identity and character are so secure that he, he's just able to shoot straight with them. And remember, we started out reading in Matthew chapter 5, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed, blessed, blessed. What we are going to see here is the woes. Woe is you, woe. You know, woe to that person. That's a, a phrase, an expression um, of anguish. Because woe to the person that is like this. It says in verse 13, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Wow. Talk about not pulling any punches. He looks right at them and he calls them hypocrites. Now, sometimes people say that Jesus is so meek and, and mild that he would never confront someone. Jesus is very confrontational right here at this point in time. And when he looks to them, the Pharisees were teaching people that, hey, the Pharisees thought they were good enough to make it into heaven and it was their pride that disqualified them. So in in the Sermon on the Mount, remember Jesus said, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, but the Pharisees, they were proud in spirit. So not only were they outside of the kingdom of God, but they were keeping other people outside of the kingdom of God. 
In verse 14, now he deals with the mourners being comforted versus mourners being abused. Remember, uh, Jesus said, blessed are you who mourn for you shall be comforted. But in verse 14, he says to the scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. Therefore, you will receive greater condemnation. Now, some of your Bibles may not include this verse because some of the newer uh, manuscripts don't have this verse. But just know that some of the older ones do, and so it's included in some of the Bibles. But it's also included in Mark 12.40, so we know that it is a scriptural principle that is in here. But these Pharisees and these, these scribes, rather than comforting people that were mourning, they were taking advantage of people that were mourning. I, I'll tell you that there are times when I, I really get angry when people get ripped off because they're in a vulnerable position. And in that vulnerable position, sometimes people can come in and try to take advantage of that. Rather than comforting those that were mourning, they were trying to take advantage of people that were mourning. The next thing it says in verse 15, it says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel land and sea to win one proselyte. And when he is one, you make him twice as much of a son of hell as yourselves. Man, does Jesus just speak right to them? I mean, he doesn't. He doesn't hold back. And I'm just, he, he's saying this right, right to their face. Um, just imagine they're wearing these robes. Just imagine they have, they have on the religious hats, the phylacteries, the garments. Just imagine he's talking right to them and he speaks right to their hypocrisy. And he calls them what they really are. He calls them sons of hell. Now that's pretty intense, right? Jesus said in um, the Sermon on the Mount that the meek will inherit the earth. The Pharisees were anything but meek. And that's why pride is so dangerous. It, it's, it's the root of sin. And see, when it comes to pride, I'll tell you, a, a danger is that sometimes pride can be the acceptable sin in the church. And it should never, ever be that way. See, there are sins within Christian culture that are, are weighted Oh, that's a really bad sin. That's a worse sin. And yet sometimes pride just flies right under the radar as though it's absolutely normal. And Jesus rebukes that pride and he speaks right to them. In verse 16, notice the next title that he gives them. He calls them blind guides. Um, Remember that in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, blessed are you when you hunger and thirst for righteousness for you will be filled but instead they were greedy for gain. It says, woe to you blind guides, blind guides. It's like, you don't know where you're going and you're leading people. He says, who say, whoever swears by the temple, it's nothing, but whoever swears by the gold of the temple, he is obligated to perform it. Fools and blind, he calls them fools. Wow, remember Jesus warned against calling someone a fool, but Jesus, because he knows their hearts and because he is perfect, is able to, to say that they really are being fools. He said, fools and blind. In other words, he's the judge. He says, which is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctifies the gold? Whoever swears by the altar, it is nothing, but whoever swears by the gift that is on it, he is obligated to perform it. Again, fools and blind, which is greater, the gift or the altar um, that sanctifies the gift? Therefore, he who swears by the altar swears by it and all things on it. He who swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits on it. Now, let me explain this. 
what they're doing is they're saying, oh, when you swear, um, don't swear by the temple, swear by the gold that's in the temple. They were just being ridiculous. And let me, let me put it into modern day vernacular. They were saying, I swear with God as my witness, poke a thousand needles in my eye. They were like over-exaggerating what they were saying in order to say what they were saying was true. Now, in your character, in my character, do people believe us just because they know us? Do they take your word at face value? Or do you have to say, this time uh, I'm, I'm being honest? <laughs> I, 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 just a personal thing, it always, my, my you know, spidey senses start going off whenever someone says, you know what? I'm just going to be honest with you. It just makes me think, well, what were you being before you said I'm going to be honest with you? And all of a sudden, like you're being honest. So if that's a habit of yours, I'm not picking on you. I'm just saying my spidey senses go off a little bit. Um, but, but what they're doing is they're, they're trying to swear by holy things. And, and, and as though what they say is true because they're swearing by holy things. And it's important, remember Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. They should know our word so much. And I know people that are like that. When they say that they're gonna do something, they do it. Man, I know people that, that their word is their bond. If they said that they were going to be there, they're going to be there. If they aren't there, I gotta start praying because something happened to them because they are going to make every effort to be there. There are other people that say, I'm gonna be there, and you take it with a grain of salt, like maybe, maybe not, well, we'll see, because they've shown themselves to be flaky. In verse 23, the next thing is obtaining mercy versus rejecting mercy. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for, uh, those that are merciful for you shall receive mercy. But notice in verse 23, He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Blind guides, you who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Now, again, um, blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. The Pharisees and religious leaders were anything but merciful. Do you remember the woman that was caught in adultery? What did they do? They brought her to Jesus to do what? To stone her. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Jesus said, you have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. It is so important that we don't neglect justice as an issue whether it's the issue of living the issue of voting the issue of faith justice is a big thing to god it it, god is a just god and if we see people treated with injustice and we don't do anything about it and we don't care about them then we're being hypocritical like the scribes and the pharisees and religious leaders see sometimes um you know, right now with human trafficking, and, and I just, I, I want to be able to, to share this compassionately. Um, when, when I first started hearing about human trafficking, I was, I was blown away. I couldn't, I couldn't fathom that that was going on to the degree that it is going on in our world today. Um, but being able to witness firsthand going to the Philippines and seeing it happen um, in, in Angeles City, 
the average age of, of prostitutes there is less than 15 years old. Now, it's climbing because of an organization that I absolutely love called International Justice Mission. And what International Justice uh, IJM, what they do, is they're a Christian organization. When they find out that something is going on like that, whether it's in the United States or anywhere else, they'll go to that place and they have three branches. The first branch is investigators. I look at them as like Christian Jack Bowers. You know, they go undercover and they, they go in and they pose as Johns and they actually interview these girls and they say, are, are you being held against your will? You know, don't say anything. Would you want to be rescued? Because there has to be consent. And they actually film them and they have these secret cameras that they carry in duffel bags or on their lapel. It's just, just a crazy thing. Then the next thing after the investigation, they have a branch of attorneys. And the attorneys from that country study that country's laws and they bring the case and the evidence to the government and say, look, we have evidence according to your laws. You don't have to investigate it. We've done the investigation for you. All you have to do is prosecute it. And if you do not prosecute it, then we will go to our government and to our ambassadors and say, this government, this country will not protect its own people. And so they hold their feet to the fire And then once they go in and rescue these people, the next thing, the third branch is aftercare. They have homes where they take care of them. And I'll tell you where it got very personal for me is that I went to uh, an orphanage in the Philippines that I I just absolutely love. I'm praying to be able to take a group of you there. I'm praying next year um, after Easter during spring break. And you could be praying about it as well. Financially, it's gonna be real tough for us to do that. I would love to take a group there. Because you'll meet some of these young girls that have been rescued and they're just beautiful. And I'll tell you, when the director that had been there for 10 years as the director, when he introduced me to some of these girls, when he turned around, we walked away and he just started weeping. And he said, did you see that one girl there? I said, yeah. He said, that's the first time. She's been here for three months and that is the first time I've seen her smile. See, when, when you have a heart for that, it's not an in thing it's not a thing of, oh, that's an end thing, you know, human trafficking. We should probably do that as a church and kind of get into that. No, God's heart of justice is that when we see injustice, somehow or another, our heart must be affected. And if it's not affected, then I need to be able to say, God, why is my heart not affected by these things that I see and these things I hear? Maybe it's just investigation and exposure to it. But my prayer for us as a body of Christ is that we don't just come on Sunday mornings and then gather together in life groups and have these times of fellowship and ignore injustice that is happening all over our world. The Pharisees and the scribes, they did that. And there were religious leaders that, that did that, just like there are religious leaders today that do that. The sad thing is that sometimes when it comes to liberals versus conservatives, is that sometimes conservatives have truth and that liberals have compassion. Jesus wants us to do both, right? He wants us to have compassion. And I'm not saying all conservatives don't have compassion and all well, I'm not, you know, just hopefully there, there's some people that have both, right? That we, we see that and we don't compromise the truth of God's word. But yet just because we have the truth of God's word, it doesn't mean that since we're okay, we don't have to reach out to those people in their circumstances. So Jesus has a heart to go after them. Remember when Jesus talked about the 99 and the one? He says that the, the shepherd will leave the 99 and go after the one. And it doesn't mean that the 99 are not safe. Because that wouldn't make sense, right? 99, unsafe, and then you go after the one that, that is lost. No, 99 are being cared for. You go after the one. Maybe you think, well, how can I do that? I don't have a lot of money. 
Um, I don't have a lot of time. That's where we got to trust God to do the miraculous. That's where we got to trust God to do what God does when we say, God, show me what to do. And when you show me what to do, that you give me the strength to do it. And that's when we know that God's in it. God opens doors that no one can shut. God provides. God is real. He is alive. He is the provider. If he calls us on mission to do something, then we just need to do that. We don't need to calculate saying based on what we have, but God, when you speak to us by your spirit, then help us to take those steps. And if you close the door, then you close the door. But we're gonna keep going that direction that you lead us until you close that door. And if that door is open, we're gonna walk through it. See, God desires for us to really have compassion. Not just, not just um, compassion, but empathy, getting involved. It's more than just saying, I feel sorry for them. It's doing something about it. And I'm not just talking about human trafficking. I'm talking about people in every situation in which there is a need. And now, now sometimes we could do this. And rightly so, sometimes we say, well, they deserved to be in the situation that they were in. They, they did that. They got in that place because of poor choices and poor decisions. Let me ask you, did you deserve for God to reach out to you? Or were you making poor decisions and poor choices? And did God reach out to you anyway? See, that's called grace. Something that we don't deserve. And God extends that to us. And he wants us to extend that to other people. Now, the next thing it says that in verse 25, he deals with those that are pure in heart versus those that are defiled in heart. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, You cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgent. Blind Pharisee, first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish, that the outside of them may also be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. The cup and the dish, they were to have utensils that were cleansed. And so they would clean the outside, but he's saying the outside is clean, but the inside is still dirty. Um, Maybe you've gone to a restaurant before and the outside of your cup was clean, but inside of the cup, there was still some stuff that was stuck to the sides. And what did you do? You told your server, could you please take this back? This is not clean. It's not fit for use. In the same way, if only the outside of us is clean, you took a shower this morning, you know, you, you look nice, you got dressed up for church, but the inside is dirty. God is saying, no, I need to, I need to clean the inside because it's really the inside that makes you useful or not useful. The same thing with the whitewashed tombs. You know, when we went to Israel, uh, the tombs out there, they're painted white, not only to look really clean, but also if you touched a tomb, then you were considered defiled. And so they were painted white to stay away from them. They they, they look really nice, beautiful white tombs. But yet, he says, inside, you're filled with dead men's bones. What God wants is he wants purity of heart. The next thing that he deals with is uh, the peacemakers. Now, he goes on in verse 29. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You build the tombs of the prophets. You adorn the monuments of the righteous and say, if we had lived in the days of our fathers we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Therefore, you are witnesses against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your father's guilt. 
listen to this, serpents, you brood of vipers, how can you escape the condemnation of hell? Therefore, indeed, I send you prophets, wise men, and scribes. Some of you will kill and crucify. Some of you, um, they, they will scourge, uh, you'll scourge in the, the synagogues and persecute from city to city. That on you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Assuredly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. But these were not peacemakers, they were persecutors. And even though they said, hey, if we, had, if we were alive in those days, we would, we would not have been a part of that. Now, Jesus says, all these things will come upon this generation. In fact, in AD 70, Antiochus Epiphanes destroyed Jerusalem and desecrated the temple. He came into the temple. He sacrificed a, a pig on the temple, which was you know, anathema to the, to the Jews. So all of these things will come upon that generation, but yet there's a lesson for us as well. The Pharisees and the scribes said, if we were alive at that time, that wouldn't have been us. We would never have done that. I think one of the most embarrassing things is church history sometimes. You ever look back at church history? You read in history books about the Crusades. How stupid was that? The, the, the inquisitions in the past of killing people if they did not, if they did not accept Christ and worship Christ. It, how stupid was that? You look back at church history, at times there were indulgences. You paid money to the, the priests and to the leaders in order to get into heaven, out of purgatory into heaven. How stupid was that? Are there any things maybe that we will look at the church of 2013 in the future? Our, our kids and our grandkids will look at and they'll look back at church history and they'll say, how stupid was that? See, we have to be careful because even though we could judge church history, I, I, I want to pray that we would look at our own hearts and say, God, are we doing any things that are stupid right now? So that our kids and grandkids and great-grandkids don't look back and say, man, the church in the early 2000s, the 20-teens, man, the church in the 20-teens was really dumb. Look at some of the things that they did. So even though the Pharisees and the scribes, they said we would, we would not have been partakers with them, Jesus points out, oh, yeah, you know what? Yeah, you, you would have. And lest we should in some way think that we are better than them, I think about David. David was a man after God's own heart, and yet he had one of the most faithful men in his army murdered in order to commit adultery with his wife and cover it up. That was David. Should we have a healthy distrust of self? Do you remember... Do you remember when Jesus said, one of you will betray me? And they began to say, is it I? Is it I? Is it? It's healthy to have a distrust of self. My prayer always is God. In fact, I, I prayed this when I first became a Christian. And I pray it to this day. Lord, if I am ever going to hurt my family, and, and, and I wasn't even a pastor. So I'm, if I'm ever going to hurt people that I love and the body of Christ and your witness, just please kill me off before that. I would rather go home. I would rather be with you. So I think that it's important that we look to ourselves and say, God, what about me? What about Peter? I'll never deny you. I'll never deny you. All these other chumps will deny you, but not me. I'll be with you all the way to the end. And what happened? 
When the rooster crowed, Jesus looked to Peter and Peter's warming himself at the, the enemy's fire, right? See, we need to have that healthy distrust saying, God, please just today, just keep me walking with you. Just cleanse my heart. Just help me not to be a hypocrite. Just help me to deal with this area of my life that I'm struggling with. Then it says, um, Jesus ends with this. Um, Oh, by the way, I want us to understand this. There's a difference between being a full-on hypocrite and a semi, okay? Now, I'm gonna explain that phrase because Bruce Beloyne, who's my professor at Azusa Pacific, he used to say, I'm a semi. And I concur, he is a semi. And I concur that I am a semi. And what he meant by that, to give you the definition of it, is a full-on hypocrite knows what they're doing and they do it anyway. And they try to deceive people purposefully, even though they're not living a certain way and they are deceiving others on purpose. And he said, a lot of these religious leaders were full-on hypocrites. And he said, I am a semi because what I wanna do, I don't do at times. And what I don't wanna do, sometimes that's what I do. And let me say this, that as Christians, the gap between what we know and what we do, hopefully gradually is getting smaller than larger. Hopefully God's whittling away at those things. We're never gonna be here until we're with the Lord. Until that point, we're semis and we are working on our hypocrisy and our sin on a daily basis, saying, God, cleanse me. God, help me not to do that again. God, help me to repent. I am blessed that Jesus has a heart for hypocrites and semis like me. See, sometimes we could be judgmental of the hypocrite. We could be judgmental of them, but I want you to know that in the parable of the prodigal son, that the father had compassion for the older son also. And and he ends with this, and I'm glad he ends it in this way. Notice what happens in verse 37. He turns from the multitude to the scribes and the Pharisees, and finally he turns to all of Jerusalem. And what does he say? This, this is the king's heart. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house has left you desolate. For I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, next week, we're gonna get a little bit more into what that means, but I want you to notice that he said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. When does Jesus repeat a name? When it's important? I really believe that Jesus repeats a name also when his heart is breaking. He repeated, Simon, Simon, Satan has desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith wouldn't fail. And when you are um, uh, converted, strengthen your brethren. Jesus said, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful. And Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Jesus says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. This morning, you know what he's saying? He's saying your name twice. He's saying my name twice. He's calling out to us because when his heart breaks, when we're semis or when we're full on hypocrites even, he says, would you just turn to me? Now, one of the details that is added in the other gospels is that Jesus wept over Jerusalem. And I really believe that that is the heart of our king. So I wanted to close 
by showing a little video clip, and then we will go into just a time of worship. And when I show this video clip, I want you to know something. The young man that did this video, some of you have seen it. Um, when he did the video, he expected maybe 1,000, 2,000 viewers. There have been 25 million views of this video. Um, it, it's going to be maybe a little bit um, offensive, kind of stark, kind of in your face a little bit. But I just want you to listen with an open heart, and then I'll come back up, and we'll just go into a time of worship. So let's just watch this together. What if I told you Jesus came to abolish religion? What if I told you voting Republican really wasn't his mission? What if I told you Republican doesn't automatically mean Christian, and just because you call some people blind doesn't automatically give you vision? I mean, if religion is so great, why has it started so many wars? Why does it build huge churches but fails to feed the poor? Tell single moms God doesn't love them if they've ever had a divorce, but in the Old Testament, God actually calls religious people whores. Religion might preach grace, but another thing they practice, tend to ridicule God's people, they did it to John the Baptist. They can't fix their problems, and so they just mask it, not realizing religion's like spraying perfume on a casket. See, the problem with religion is it never gets to the core. It's just behavior modification, like a long list of chores. Like, let's dress up the outside, make it look nice and neat. But it's funny, that's what they used to do to mummies while the corpse rots underneath. Now I ain't judging, I'm just saying, quit putting on a fake look. Because there's a problem if people only know that you're a Christian by your Facebook. I mean, in every other aspect of life, you know that logic's unworthy. It's like saying you play for the Lakers just because you bought a jersey. See, this was me too, but no one seemed to be on to me. Acting like a church kid while addicted to pornography. See, on Sunday I'd go to church, but Saturday getting faded, acting if I was simply created to just have sex and get wasted. See, I spent my whole life building this facade of neatness, but now that I know Jesus, I boast in my weakness. Because if grace is water, then the church should be an ocean. It's not a museum for good people, it's a hospital for the broken, which means I don't have to hide my failure, I don't have to hide my sin. Because it doesn't depend on me, it depends on Him. See, because when I was God's enemy, and certainly not a fan, He looked down and said, I want that man. Which is why Jesus hated religion, and for it he called them fools. Don't you see so much better than just following some rules? Now let me clarify. I love the church, I love the Bible, and yes, I believe in sin. But if Jesus came to your church, would they actually let him in? See, remember he was called a glutton and a drunkard by religious men. But the Son of God never supports self-righteousness, not now, not then. Now back to the point, one thing is vital to mention. How Jesus and religion are on opposite spectrums. See, one's the work of God, but one's a man-made invention. See, one is the cure, but the other's the infection. See, because religion says do. Jesus says done. Religion says slave. Jesus says son. Religion puts you in bondage, while Jesus sets you free. Religion makes you blind, but Jesus makes you see. And that's why religion and Jesus are two different clans. Religion is man searching for God, Christianity is God searching for man, which is why salvation is freely mine and forgiveness is my own, not based on my merits, but Jesus' obedience alone. 
because he took the crown of thorns and the blood dripped down his face. He took what we all deserve. I guess that's why you call it grace. And while being murdered, he yelled, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Because when he was dangling on that cross, he was thinking of you. And he absorbed all your sin and he buried it in the tomb, which is why I'm kneeling at the cross saying, come on, there's room. So for religion, no, I hate it. In fact, I literally resent it. Because when Jesus said, it is finished, I believe he meant it. Now, uh, that young man is a guy named Jefferson Bethke. Um, I'm friends of his, um, one, one of his friends on Facebook. Um, <laughs> but I want you to know that uh, after that, he was kind of criticized by, by some really good pastors, some really good teachers that, that saw some flaws in it. And I want you to know that when he received the criticism, he, he responded by thanking them for correcting him. He said, you know, I'm a young guy. I'm just trying to make a difference. I didn't think that, uh, you know, that would be more than 1,000 views. I didn't realize there was going to be 25 million. He said, I, I wish that my theology were more tight uh, as I did it, and I would have been more, you know, a, a, you know explanatory. But realize this, that, um, you know, some of the things that he was criticized was his em- overemphasis on grace and forgiveness, but not obedience and transformation. He understands that, and and uh, he wanted to make sure that he wasn't being harsh and judging uh, the church. And also some ways that he used the word religion, sometimes that could have been confusing because some people see religion differently. But I do want to share this, that he had 25 million views. And those 25 million views weren't all church people. They were because there was a, a YouTube video called um, Jesus is Greater Than Religion. And, and I'll tell you that most of those views were people that were under 30. Because that's how people that are under 30 have seen the church. That's how they have seen um, the Christian culture. And so let us not be those that are hypocritical or overjudgmental or self-righteous saying, well, I'm better. I'm not going to go to church because church is full of hypocrites. Hey, we're all, we're all semis to a certain degree. But know this, God wants relationship. And that relationship comes from a change from the inside out. And if you've never received Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're not joining a religion. You're not, you're not saying, hey, it's about an establishment. It's saying, I believe in Jesus. I want to follow him. And by following him, it also puts me as part of the body of Christ where I am not alone and the people around me become my brothers and sisters. And so not to be self-righteous, like I follow Jesus, but not the church. That's like saying, hey, Matt, I want to get to know you, but I don't like your wife. The church is called the bride of Christ, Right? And, and if we come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I love you, but I just hate your wife, I don't like your bride, then I think that, you know, the bridegroom will have a problem with that. And so we're just going to worship the Lord, and let's respond, first of all. If you've never received Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'm going to pray a prayer. And that prayer is just saying, God, I'm saying yes to you. I am admitting and confessing that I am a sinner, that I need you, that I can't do this on my own. And, and I'm receiving Christ. And then... I'm also going to pray for us that we would have hearts of compassion, that we wouldn't just be religious people. How do we prevent that? By relationship, by spending time with him. It's the best preventative to hypocrisy and religion. Because if we only do this and gather here, but we don't talk to him outside of here, then we slip to becoming a religious person, not a Christian that really knows the Lord. Let's pray. Jesus, first of all, we want to thank you. God, we don't want to take it lightly what you have gone through on our behalf. 
So Jesus, we thank you for dying for us on the cross, for taking our sin, our death, our guilt, our punishment, our self-righteousness, our pride. You humbled yourself and you came to die, to take our separation away, to become the atonement, to make us one with God. And so, Lord, we don't want to come on our own merits. We don't come in our pride saying, God, we, we deserve to be here. We made it. We're good enough. We've done the work. No, Lord, we come to you humbly, all in the same place, saying, Jesus, we come to the cross. There's equal footing there. And Jesus, please come into my life. Please forgive me for my sin, not the sins of the church, not the sins of my fathers or mothers in the past, Lord, not the sins of um, our, our history or ancestry, but God, for my sin personally, I ask that you would forgive me. I want to accept you. I want to experience your grace and your love and mercy. I want to experience knowing you. I want to experience your justice. I want to experience your righteousness. So Jesus, would you forgive me? Would you fill me with your spirit? And then Lord, for those of us that have received you, we ask that you would change us, Lord, because I confess I am a, I am a semi. And God, there are areas of my life as well that need just to come under control of your Holy Spirit. God, there are areas that sometimes sin could be hidden. Sometimes sin can be acceptable in Christian culture, in Christian circles. But God, we know that anything that falls short of you is sin. So God, we don't want to just look good on the outside. We don't want to be whitewashed sepulchers. We don't want to be cups that the outside is clean, but the inside is still filthy. But God, we pray that you would cleanse us from the inside out. And as you cleanse us, God, give us a love for you. Give us a love for people. Give us a heart that breaks for the things that break your heart. God, give us hearts that are joyful for the things that bring you joy. Lord, make it more than just religion. God, fill us with your spirit. Lord, today, would you meet with us? Would you just come upon us in power? May your Holy Spirit, God, just come upon us at this time. May we be overwhelmed with who you are. And Lord, may we worship you in spirit and in truth. Lord, we love you. We, we pray, Father, that as we offer up to you words of praise, as we offer up to you singing, God, we pray that it wouldn't be singing lies. But God, even as we sing the lyrics of these songs, make these things true of us. And as we worship you, Lord, by giving with tithes and offerings, may it not be to buy you off. But Lord, because we worship you, because you are a good God, and we want to give to you out of our first fruits. So Lord, we thank you. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As, as we go into this time of worship, um, ushers are going to come forward to receive the offering. If you're visiting, don't feel obligated in any way to give. But if this is what you would desire to do as part of your worship, then you will have an opportunity to do this. Um, it's been said before that Christians don't tell lies, they sing lies. I pray that that's not true of us. And I pray that anywhere that the Holy Spirit shows me that I'm not, I'm not up to what it is that I'm singing, that he changes that within me. So let's worship the Lord together.